welcome back to our Giving 2.0 series. And uh, there's been some great things happening through the week. Lots of conversations, Amen. lots of process. Amen. One wife after last Sunday said, honey, what do we give? Not knowing a, a clue. She says, I want to give a gift pleasing to the Father. So they had a great conversation together, a husband and wife. That's what we hope happens. We're talking today about because of grace, I can give cheerfully and according to my ability. If you have a Bible, you can open up to 2 Corinthians and the 8th chapter and the 5th verse. Paul writes, he says, and they did not do as we expected. Mm, yeah. Has anybody ever done something you didn't expect? Yep. A husband who takes you on an unexpected getaway? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> a wife who makes... An unexpected dinner, something you really love. A child who gives an unexpected gift, maybe a phone call. This last Thursday, I received an unexpected gift. I've spoken before of my friend, Adam Dock, who helped with Paul when my roof was leaking. Well, I texted Adam uh, recently about a problem I have. We have a wood stove, a wood stove insert, and it weighs about 400 pounds. I just had back surgery. So I said, Adam, we're trying to figure out how to get it out, and they've going to charge us lots of money to do this. And so he said, you know, sometime I'll be over to get it. So Friday morning, I got a phone call from Debbie, and she said, R, the wood stove is not here. <laughs> and I said, do you mean like the wood stove elves came and took it so Santa can come down? Yeah. <laughs> so I called, I texted Adam. I said, Adam, what, what happened? He said, well, we came yesterday, and we took it out. And we just did it because we loved it. Now, the story behind the wood stove is 20 years ago, my mom gave me that wood stove. It was a Christmas present. She was in our house. She said, it's cold. We need a wood stove. So we got the wood stove. And then my friend Dan Raymond, when the thermostat broke, came over and fixed the thermostat. And then Adam came with his horses and removed it out. So I said to Verlin on Friday, I said, is there anybody in the church who needs a wood stove? And she thought immediately of somebody. And she called him, and it's going to be picked up. Praise God. By undeserved grace, we received the, the gift. By undeserved grace, the thermostat was fixed. By undeserved grace, it was removed, and somebody's going to receive a gift of grace. I remember one time I was over at uh, Chipotle's, and um, two guys I disciple, they think Chipotle's is the greatest place in the world. They, they're in love with Chipotle bur burritos. And I must admit that Josh, my youngest son before soccer games, always wanted to go to Chipotle's. So one day we were at Chipotle's, <clears throat> this is two of my kids and myself, and going through the line. So we had all ordered about $20, and the cashier said it'll be $20. So I reached in my pocket, you've had this experience, I bet, reached in my pocket and there wasn't a wallet. And I said, I have no money. And the, the cashier said, take, I give. No, I said, no, no, I'll, I'll go home to my house and get my wallet and find the $20, and I'll give it back to you. He said, no, no, my gift, take. So at this time, you know, Betsy's going out to the car looking for money, and nobody has any money on them. <laughs> nobody in line seems too generous. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, I really don't want your gift. I really want to pay you. Mm. And so I really want to go home and get the money. He said, no, here, take. And then he said something that just completely blew me away. He said, and how many of you are there? And I said, three. And knowing I had absolutely nothing to pay him with, he gave me three cups. And when I sat down at my table, I couldn't eat. I was actually weeping hmm. of the 
grace that was shown to me, the undeserved favor. See, what happened to this church in Macedonia was they did something that was unexpected because, first of all, they gave themselves to the Lord. And when you find the Lord, you'll find his unexpected grace. It's called the gospel of God's grace. And the gospel will always be good news. Jesus came bringing the gospel. Now, we often think that the gospel is the diving board from which we jump off into the pool. The gospel is what we need to hear and believe and receive to be saved. But the gospel is not only the diving board. The gospel is the pool. It's the pool we swim in. It's the pool we bask in. It's the pool we soak in. The deeper we drink in the gospel, the greater is our passion for God. And the stronger is our love for people. The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A through Z of Christianity. The gospel is the beginning and the end as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. I've actually lost some sleep proclaiming the gospel. One time I was on a train from Moscow to St. Petersburg. It looked like a scene from Dr. Zhivago. Steam rolling up, these green um, coated men, big baggage uh, trains. So I was on a sleeper, and the conductor knocked at my door. I thought he was looking for my ticket. He said to me, would you like to buy some matriosks, those nesting dolls, the Russian matriosks? He said, I'd like to sell you some. Well, I said, I'd like to share something with you. I'd like to share with you the gospel. So you tell me about your matriosks. I'll tell you about my gospel. So about an hour later, I bought one of these things. And four hours later, we finished this conversation about the gospel. And what he said to me was, my grandmother believed like you did. But for two, three generations in Russia, no one has been proclaiming the gospel. I'm glad God sent you to me to share with me the gospel. So you may be asking yourself, what is it that are shared with this conductor on this train going up to St. Petersburg? Well, herein is the gospel. God put us in a beautiful place of unparalleled beauty, of unbroken fellowship, known as the garden. And there, we love to be with God. I love to have a relationship with God. We love to hear the voice of God and to walk with God. But then the serpent came and tempted us. And we, God had given us freedom in the garden, but it gave us one restriction, one tree we couldn't eat from. And we ate from that tree, and sin came into the world. And all that's ugly in our world, the dictators that hold on to power, the wars that rage in our world, the rape and the rage that we see, the violence in our street, the bullyings on the internet, all these things that we see are a result of sin. But then we also see our own sin. We see our own pride, our own attempt to earn the favor of God, our unwillingness to ask for forgiveness, our unwillingness to ask for help. So we see sin also in our own lives. So what God did was he sent forth his son whose name was Jesus Christ to restore you back to God. Your sin had created a separation between you and God. And Jesus came to restore you. 
He went around doing good things, healing people of their afflictions, casting out devils, anointed with the Holy Spirit, and then they put him on a cross. The innocent Lamb of God went to a cross for your sins, for mine. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment we deserved fell upon him that we might have peace with God. For all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord laid the iniquity of us all upon Jesus. The gospel in its shortest form is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried in a tomb, but on the third day he rose again from the dead. And those who believe in him receive eternal life and enter into an abundant life and find freedom and forgiveness. So I put my faith in Jesus 34 years ago. And uh, when I graduated from college, and I went away to a seminary. And the seminary had a certain amount of rules in it. The first rule was we couldn't dance because dancing would give us impure thoughts. I get asked the question, can Christians dance? And I say, well, some can and some can't. <laughs> Good and there. And then we uh, couldn't listen to music with a beat because that would make you want to dance. And then we couldn't go to movies because movies would give you impure thoughts. Jesus may come back. And I learned something about giving while I was there, that giving sort of is required. You see, for me, giving wasn't about pleasing the Father's heart. It was sort of like something expected of me. It became more like April 15th. It became more like writing a check out of obligation. You're required to pay your taxes. You're required also to pay your tithe. And uh, for me, tithing kind of lapsed into obligation, resentment, being made into. It wasn't that I didn't believe the gospel. I could give you the gospel. But in my heart, I didn't feel it. But recently, I've discovered something, again, that has changed everything. You say, what is it, Pastor, or what has changed everything? And it is the gospel. I have reawakened to the gospel. It wasn't that I didn't understand the gospel. The truth of the gospel had moved from my head to my heart. And there's a gap between our intellect knowing something and feeling it in our hearts. The Puritan Jonathan Edwards said, reawakening to the gospel to a man is like one who believes in his head that honey is sweet, but for the first time, the sweetness bursts forth, bursts forth in his mouth. He understands the sweetness of God. My love for God has increased because of the gospel. You say, Pastor, how do you grow in love for God? Being commanded to love somebody you have no affection for just creates weariness. You see, true love grows in response to loveliness. The first time I ever saw Debbie, I felt the beginnings of love for her. But the more I've gotten to know her, the more I've seen her beauty and her loveliness. So, 
When your eyes are open to the loveliness and beauty of Jesus Christ, revealed in the gospel, it will awaken your desire for God to give to God something that is pleasing. So what happened to these people was they did something they didn't expect, Paul didn't expect, because they first of all gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us in keeping with God's will. Now, the tithe may be an unclear thing, but what is absolutely clear is that when a person gets saved, their orientation toward life begins to change. Now we become about doing God's work and supporting God's work and supporting God's workers. So these ones that received the gospel felt they were now partners in the work of the gospel. But look at verse 1. It says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that has been poured out, given to the Macedonian churches. With God, there is no shortage of grace. His supply of grace can never run out. Where sin has increased, God's grace has increased all the more. And God invites us into his throne room where we can receive this grace. Asking God for grace is better than atone, trying to atone for your own sins because he's already made the atonement. Asking God for his grace is better than beating yourself up, condemnation, because the cross and the grace we receive there is more than enough to cover our sin. But once we receive this grace, we have an opportunity to show grace. And that's what chapter 8, verse 1 is talking about. The grace that flowed into individual lives now corporately was expressed through the church as they became generous. He's talking about their propensity to give the grace that God gave them. Well, then you would say, well, Pastor Art, the church must have been rich. They must have been without problems. That's why they gave. Read on. It says, out of the most severe trial, they weren't problem-free, they weren't simply having afflictions, but they were in the most severe trial. Surprisingly, it says that out of their most severe trial, their joy overflowed with overwhelming joy. And added to their most severe trial was their extreme poverty. These Macedonian Christians were dirt poor. But out of their extreme poverty welled up with rich generosity. Now, in my lifetime, I've been many places in the world. And I have been with people who have nothing or next to nothing. One time I was down in Mexico City just after the 85 earthquake. And there was rubble everywhere in the streets. A lot of people's homes were destroyed. We were staying in the poorest part of Mexico City. There were um, about 3 million homeless people. And I remember the little children that ran through the streets. And they tug at my pants and say, Peso, senor. They had absolutely nothing. So we found for them food. And we supplied the children. And we worked with the poor, trying to rebuild their homes. And I remember on our last meal together, somebody, somehow, the community got together and they bought a 50-pound bag of, bag of rice. In somebody's home, they cooked this rice up for us, hot steaming rice. And they took some pinto beans and they cooked the pinto beans with the rice. And then they found this chicken. I think it was a rooster. 
This rooster that had been haunting me at 3 a.m. in the morning, crowing, <laughs> they slaughtered the rooster. And I was happy that the rooster went down. <laughs> and they took their beans and their rice and their rooster, and they served it on a big platter. It was all they had. In their most severe trial, in their extreme poverty, they had overwhelming joy and rich generosity. And I believe that was one of the finest meals of my entire life. You'll never know the impact of what you give. I mean, these Operation Christmas Child gifts, when a child opens us up and hears this gospel of God's grace, that somebody here cared enough to send a Christmas package and loves them, you'll never know the impact of what you give this side of eternity. Then Paul says, I want to give a testimony in verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and some gave even beyond their ability. Now, we have been saying that the amount we give matters. And we get to decide what kind of gift we're going to bring. But we always give according to our ability. We here in this room are with all different kinds of capacities, abilities to give. Some here are students and you have no income and there's no expectation. Some here are living from day to day, you know, praying for their daily bread. Some here have been disabled, living off of workman's compensation. Some here have a fixed income. Some here are just starting out in their careers. Some are making more money than they've ever made before. Well, what does it begin to look like when each one of us, before the Lord, begins to give according to our ability? You see, it's proportionate to how the Lord has blessed us. It's said in the Old Testament that you would never come before the Lord empty-handed, give him nothing. Having God given you so much, shouldn't we respond with loving him by giving back to him? What we come to understand then is, it's not ours, it's his. It's what I have received from him. That I can bless the Father's heart by giving. I can put a big smile on his face by giving something from my heart that really matters to him. It says in verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. There were poor people in Jerusalem who were starving. And now these very poor people saw it as a privilege to share. I asked the Holy Spirit, what had happened in a moment heart that giving kind of moved from a joy to an obligation. And this is what he revealed to me, a stronghold in my life. When I was young, and I, my mother's birthday came around every February 10th, I would always buy for her white shoulders perfume. I didn't really buy the gift out of love. I bought it out of obligation. Because I always thought my mom liked white shoulders perfume. The truth is, on her vanity, there were about five different, um, you know, containers of white shoulders perfume. It was something I did out of obligation, and I never experienced the joy of giving to her. But then I became a believer, 
And I understand what it means to honor your mother and father. So when she was in a convalescent home, I went down to see her not to give her white shoulders perfume, but to give her myself. I felt the best gift I could give her was to say, Mom, I've come to see you. So I would bring, with my, I would bring some brightly colored flowers, and I'd bring some talcum powder, and I would rub her feet. And I would take her down to the dining hall, and we'd eat together with the people in the convalescent home. I made sure my mom got her hair cut, her hairstyle. She liked that every week. What I decided was that I would give something from the heart to her, not something out of obligation. And we had some of the sweetest times because I no longer was given because I had to. I was given now because I wanted to. Mike, ever struggled with giving out of obligation? Oh, yeah. Uh, Margie and I, in, uh, when we were up in Philadelphia serving at a church there, we uh, really, at least I, and I think Margie did too, we got into a sense, I don't know if it was obligation as much as, as uh, fear, fear that we wouldn't make it, and, and the bills started overwhelming us, and, and so I think we missed the aspect of the grace of God and responding to it and, and missed that attitude. It was so um, sobering because we got out of the habit of giving every week, and then we'd think after two, three weeks, we need to catch up. And similarly, as Pastor Scott shared last week, all of a sudden, two or three weeks became four or five, and the bills were calling to us, and the, the sense of obligation to give to God rather than responding out of grace. And so we, and then I, I responded in one of those typical male ways. I, I didn't even talk about it with Margie. I avoided it. I was passive. And, and so it was a downward spiral. Now, Pastor Scott said when, when they got into that sort of spiral that he was on a church staff as the pastor of worship, and the senior pastor confronted him. Well, I didn't have a senior pastor to confront me because I was the senior pastor up in Philadelphia. So that, was, that added additional guilt to me. So what happened is one of the laymen in the church came to me and confronted me. He wasn't the treasurer. He wasn't one of the guys that counted the money. He didn't know what we gave, but he could tell from my teaching and from my preaching that I was, that I, we were not giving regularly. I really believe the Holy Spirit prompted him. I had the same reaction that Scott Avey had. I got upset at him, just like Pastor Scott got upset at his senior pastor. And I really was ticked off inside. <laughs> and, and I pushed back. And I didn't respond out of grace at all, nor out of obedience. I can't even remember for how long it took me to humbly submit myself to the Lord Christ. And, and I wish that I would have understood um, these, these three things that, uh, that I'm going to share. I think it would have helped me back then. Or, uh, you, you handled the why in the world uh, do we give, and, and it's because of God's grace, I, we, give cheerfully according to our ability. And now I want to answer part of the how do I give, how do we give. And so one way 
uh, I wish I would have known about and thought through was this, that I cheerfully give with a plan. We got out of a plan. We got out of a habit. And here's the plan that God gives very specifically uh, in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, chapter 16 and verse 2. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, he says, let each one of you on the first day of the week. He doesn't let Mike Brubaker out, and he doesn't let you out. Each one of you. So this applies to us all. So that's the first part of the plan. No one's left out. Secondly, let each one of you on the first day of the week set aside and save as the Lord prospers him. So the second part of the plan is that we set aside something. We do it in a, in a habit, not out of obligation, as Pastor was saying, but out of response to the grace of God. I'll say more about that later. And notice it says the first day of the week. First day of the week, what is that? Well, that's the Lord's Day. We're on it and in it right now. And why was it called the Lord's Day? It was called the Lord's Day because at that chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, it's right in the context of the resurrection. Remember, there are no chapter divisions in the original uh, text of scriptures. And so chapter 16, verse 2, is right in the context of all of chapter 15 of the resurrection of the Lord. And so that's why they switched from worshiping on the seventh day, the Saturday, the Sabbath, to the first day of the week. And so I believe that what Paul is implying here and that God is definitely teaching here, and I wish I had had a grasp of this, is that on the first day of the week, what do we think? Worshiping the resurrected Savior. So what is our giving? It's an act of worship. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is it changes my whole perspective from obligation to an act of response to him. That's why we've mixed it up and changed it up last week and today. And, and we're doing the giving at the end of the service. Not out of just, ah, oh, we want to mix up tradition. No, it's out of there's a purpose in this, and the purpose is, as I've heard the word of God, how am I going to respond to him? Not to R, not to Mike, not to Scott, but how am I responding to the Lord? And so later on, we're going to give you an opportunity. Oh, my word, we're even asking you to walk up to these baskets and give. There's tables on each side. And why is that? That's not for show. That's not for a, a demonstration. Oh, no. It's for a step of faith, and it's also for giving in an act of worship. And just like we come forward to receive the bread and cup, we're coming forward to give back to the Lord who sacrificed his body on the cross and died and resurrected from the grave that we might live. So that's the purpose of later on giving to the Lord and walking to the front. But not only do I give cheerfully with a plan, please notice I cheerfully give without a grudge and without mere necessity. If you're looking in your Bibles, go to first, uh, Second Corinthians, please, chapter 9. This is fantastic, I love it. Chapter 9, verse 7. 
Let each one do, and I'll stop there. There, God is saying it again. You're included in this. This message is for you, but notice what it says. Do as you, he or she purposed in his or her heart. And this has to do with giving, not grudgingly, nor under compulsion. Now, what's the word grudgingly mean or grudge? It means to give literally out of sorrow, just a deep, burdened heart. And what does under compulsion mean? It means to give out of necessity. Oh, they're, they're saying it again, and so I'm going to just uh, give to the Lord. Sort of that necessity that Pastor R. referred to of tax day, April 15th. Uh, here it is, government. And we can get caught up in that. We don't say it. We may not even think it, but we might feel it. No much, not too much joy. Here it is, God. And so if we're giving out of a grudge, that's deep sorrow. And as someone said, that's sad money. So we don't want to bring sad money to the Lord. <laughs> if we're giving out of a necessity, that's sort of like grumbling. That's like mad money. And guess what the word says when it means when it says, and God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful is where we get our word for the English word hilarity or hilarious. We're to give cheerfully, joyfully. That's glad money. So when we're worshiping God later on and coming up here, it's not sad money we're bringing. It's not mad money we're bringing. But why do we have a cheerful heart? Because of what Pastor R was teaching. Because God first loved us. We don't first love him. Because God uh, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave first. He's a giving God. So we reflect the giving back to him. We give out of joy and response. And the third thing of, of uh, responding and giving cheerfully to the Lord is I, we, cheerfully give and watch God's results. Look back at chapter 9, and in fact, I'll ask uh, whoever's at the desk there at the video or ex at the computer to put the screen up uh, with the arrows, and let's just look at this beautiful picture of God's results. You see, we give according to our ability, the bottom rung there of this ladder, and Pastor R preached and, and taught on that. But not only that, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, we give cheerfully, joyful money, glad money. And then it says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 8, that God makes all grace abound. What is that? In other words, he gives supply so that we can give. He doesn't stop there in verse 10. He says God supplies seed to the sower and multiplies. So the word for supply there means that he supplies so that we can give according to joy and grace. But it doesn't stop there. The next word is thanksgiving. Giving results in thanksgiving to God. Look at verse 11, and it says that clearly. But grace giving doesn't stop there. The next level on the ladder is, and this is leading to a crescendo, 
that giving was overflowing in them, verse 12 of chapter 9. Giving was overflowing and meeting the needs and resulted in multiple thanksgivings to God. In other words, when I give, multiple people give thanks. When you give, multiple people give thanks. And it, and it gives multiple praises and thanksgivings to God. And the next rung says, because of people obeying and giving to others, they were, they were glorifying God. What does it mean to glorify God? Well, I said it earlier, but it's so quick, you may have missed it. Glory to God, and we'll sing it at the end of this service, means to reflect his character back to him. We're like the moon. We have no light on our own, but we reflect the light of the sun, S-U-N. Well, when we give glory to God, we reflect the light of the sun, S-O-N, and we reflect it to others, and we reflect it back to God. And so that gives glory to God even in our grace giving. But it doesn't stop there. The final verse of chapter 15 says, but thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's why I placed uh, gift boxes at the foot of each of these tables, so that we think of the precious indescribable gift of God. What was that? that Jesus Christ was sent to earth as a baby and that he died for us and rose again from the grave. And we cannot describe that gift. He, it says in Romans that when we were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were pulling ourselves up our bootstraps, not while we were cleaning ourselves up and making ourselves better and better. We can never earn the favor of God. And so these gifts represent what God gave to us in a gift. It also reminds us that today is the deadline of Christmas shoebox return. So if you didn't bring them, bring them back. But that's an aside. It also reminds us that as we come up to these baskets to give, listen carefully, real carefully. You may be here today and you're saying, I'm not prepared to give. I have nothing to give. I, I don't have a check, I don't have cash on me. I want to recommend this. That you take a piece of paper, in fact, I'm going to ask the ushers in a little while while we're singing to even pass extra programs out. Maybe take the message notes and write a thank you to God and that mm. can be your gift today. Mm. In fact, I'm going to be doing that because Margie gives our offering our tithe. She's not in this service. And so I'm just going to write a thank you note to God as I did at the 8 o'clock service and place it in the basket. You might be in a contemplative mood as you're thinking of this and seeing this crescendo on the screen. Maybe you want to write a prayer. Maybe God's Holy Spirit will lead you to sit there through the song. But I encourage us, yes, I even exhort us to consider placing a note or our gift or if you follow this pattern, our tithe into the baskets. But we have a problem. And it's not in Houston. Like the old saying, there's a problem, Houston. We have a problem in Frederick. And here it is that many of us seated in this room, all the money that comes in goes out to bills. Remember, 
I said that Margie and I got caught up in that in Philadelphia. And by God's grace, we turned that pattern around and began to, on the first day of the week, set aside and give cheerfully in response to his love. And so I'm going to ask you, because remember it says, let each one, I'm going to ask you to be praying today in the coming weeks. We can tell the Spirit of God's working on people because men and women are coming up to different pastors and staff and commenting on the messages. And there's been some pushback, too. Why all the talk on money? It was a precious topic to the Lord Jesus Christ. He talked more about money than heaven and hell. And since we are all about making disciples, we believe it's important to lovingly imitate the Lord Jesus Christ and talk lovingly with each one about a very significant theme. Maybe you are like Margie and I were years ago. You're in debt and you can't even imagine giving to the Lord. At least give a note to him today. But let me give you an encouraging story. Years ago, Back in the late 1990s, Margie and I were in debt to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars. We had gotten caught up in consumerism, the American way, paying our bills on credit cards. I wrote down what we were feeling, helpless, shame, hopeless, guilt. Sometimes we never talked about it. When we would, one of the questions, we'd almost ask each other in a whisper, I wonder if we'll ever, I wonder if we'll ever get out of debt. And so we took these steps. By God's grace, we took action. I'm sobered and humbled to say that I didn't take the lead in this. Margie said, we got to do something about it. And I humbly submitted and did it with her. We got financial counsel and help from a credit counselor by God's grace and mercy. In our case, we chose to keep giving. So if you're in debt, I encourage you, to, first of all, to take action in God's grace. Secondly, get some financial counselor. If you don't know where to seek that, probably you can find it on Google. But we have some in our church or that we can direct you to some. I would encourage you to give something every week according to your ability, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't lead that way, then at least pay down the debt. We kept giving, and I want to say that by God's grace, except for the payment on our condo, we are out of debt today, and we give all honor and glory to God. Now, the so what of this message, and then we will close with steps and acts of worship and a beautiful song. The first thing I want to recommend is to don't upsize. You realize in America, there's a trend. You live in an apartment, you move to a half house or a row house, if you're in the city, or a townhouse, and then a single house. You get a clunker, everyone should own one clunker of a car, 
You really should. I'm driving one right now, 232,000 miles, no, 220 some thousand miles. And we're getting ready to put it to sleep. So pray for us. But normally we go from a slightly nicer car after the clunker to a better one to a better one. You get the picture. And about 12, 13 years ago, Margie and I were asked by someone, are you ready to move into from your townhouse into a single? And we thought about it, and I was actually embarrassed to say no. Because I was wondering if people in this congregation would question my ability to take care of my family. Hmm. And not, I'm, I'm just being vulnerable, guys. It's that male thing. But by God's grace, we chose to stay in the townhouse. Some years later, I heard of a pastor. You may have heard him speak in person or online. Pastor Francis Chan. He's a pastor of a church of 10,000 or more people in California. In the American way of saying it, very successful. They were in a 3,000 square foot house and after going to the mission field, they downsized. They had three little children, too, or young children. They downsized from 3,000-square-foot house to a 1,400-square-foot house and received criticism from members of their family and members of the congregation because they were not supplying their family the way they felt that they should. And when I heard Francis Chan tell that story, it was like an affirmation from God and almost a loving rebuke because our townhouse was 1,800 square feet. And here he moved into a 1,400 square foot. Now, this is really important. If you're sitting here thinking, man, and ours is 4,200 square feet, I'm not saying that a big house or a big car is sin. That's biblically wrong because that would be that material things are wrong and sinful in and of themselves, and that's heresy. It's what I'm doing with them and what I'm allowing them to do to me. So, we don't upsize, that's one action point. We might downsize. And the third one is, if you're up to your ears or eyeballs in debt like Margie and I were, I would recommend uh, uh, taking a class of Crown Financial you can Google that, Crown Financial, write it down. Read the book, Plastic Donuts, or take the class from the Christian gentleman who's known in secular and Christian circles, David Ramsey. Take a class from him. And that can help you get on that grace of God path of coming out of debt. Now, as the praise team comes up, and as we prepare to give, I want to, and this is preparing to give in an action of worship to God. I want to review, uh, if you put that back on the screen, please, that ladder with the giant arrow. Ability, it starts there, but it's that God has prospered us. Then because of God's grace, I give cheerfully out of my ability. And then next, he'll supply more as I give. Margie and I have experienced that. And as we give, it results in praise or thanksgiving to God. And then as we give more, it results in others giving thanksgiving to God. 
And as we do that, we are doing what we're going to be singing. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. We're reflecting back to him, his character, his brilliance. And finally, we're saying thanks be to God for his indescribable grace gift. Pastor, before we do this act of worship, writing notes or bringing offerings or tithes, would you lead us in prayer, please? Thank you. So, Father, may what we're about to do be a pleasing aroma, a sacrifice acceptable from our hearts to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. And as God's spirit leads you, you give a love note or an offering to the Lord.